Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. So we're in, uh, we're starting John chapter 11 this week. Uh, Last week when we ended John chapter 10, it, it feels like the stories are kind of disjointed if you, if you don't understand that there are certain periods of time that, that John skips in order to get to a story that he feels is important for us to hear about. So when, when John 10 ended, Jesus had been in Jerusalem for a festival, the festival of dedication or Hanukkah. And because his life was being threatened, the people didn't like what he was talking about, saying that I am he or I am one with the Father. Uh, people, people wanted to kill him. Because of that, he left and he, uh, he went to an area outside of Jerusalem, just outside of Judea, near the Jordan River. Now, all of that kind of happened around mid-December because that's typically when the Hanukkah festival happens. Now, evidently, some time has passed because now there's another festival drawing near. These Jewish people and their festivals, it's a big deal, right? But this is how they commemorate the Lord. This is how they remember their, their provision that comes from him and all these kinds of things. So the Passover festival, that usually took place kind of towards the end of March or early April. So we know, okay, December to kind of March, April, we're somewhere in that region where we get into what happens next here in John chapter 11. So John, our gospel writer, he sets the stage for us here for his next entry about Jesus. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Okay, so Bethany, this place where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha lived, is in the province of Judea, the very place that Jesus has just fled because there is some opposition to him there. So Bethany is actually only two miles away from Jerusalem, the place where Jesus had been spending some considerable time. So knowing these facts, knowing this kind of tension that was going on right now, the disciples, they peep up, they say, But his disciples objected, Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. So let's pause here, because this is kind of an interesting statement that Jesus has just made. Jesus always talks in these illustrations and in parables in some of the other Gospels, and he's answering a direct question with a way that really causes the people who he's talking to to think. So the disciples have just showed concern for Jesus because they think that going back to Judea, where people had tried to kill Jesus, is a dangerous idea. But Jesus' response is all about safety. What Jesus says in verse 9 and 10 is an illustration. Daylight represents living according to God's will. The night represents living according to our own will. 
Walking in the daylight or obeying God's will is obviously a good choice. We can have confidence and even security or safety, as Jesus said, as we follow God's will for our lives. But walking in the night, which refers to disobeying God and only serving our own will, that's where danger comes in. We don't have the the will, we don't have the vision that God gives us for our lives when we walk according to our own will. That's like walking around in night. And it's dangerous because we can stumble, we can make mistakes, and we can be easily tripped up. So it's like Jesus is saying to his disciples. I kind of like paraphrasing. That's, I don't know if I'm a Eugene Peterson necessarily, but when I read something, I always think, well, if, if Jesus was speaking to me today, I think this is, might be how he said it. And so it's like Jesus said to his disciples, I'm focused on doing the Father's will. There's safety in doing his will. Real danger isn't from people coming against me for doing God's will, but real danger comes if I disobey what the Father wants me to do. Then in verse 11, the conversation continues. Then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go and see. So verse 4 that we read a little earlier and verse 15 that we just read now, I think those two verses really tie together. In verse 4, Jesus said that Lazarus' sickness would not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might receive glory from this. And here in verse 15, Jesus is reiterating that the death of Lazarus, it has a purpose. Just like there was a purpose for that man who was blind from birth that we read about in John 9, so there is also a purpose, a divine purpose, to Lazarus dying here and Jesus not being there to make him healthy again. So Jesus is going to do something miraculous for Lazarus that will help people to understand exactly who Jesus is and bring them to faith. That's the divine purpose that exists in Lazarus losing his life. So it's not all for naught. There is a good thing that's going to happen. In verse 16, it says this. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Does anyone know, uh, know why Thomas was nicknamed the twin, by the way? I had no idea until I read this this week. Apparently he was kind of a doppelganger for Jesus. He, him and Jesus looked fairly similar, and that's why they called him the twin. Pretty weird, eh? Not because he played for Minnesota. <laughs> so it's, it's not easy to know the tone here that Thomas is speaking with when he says this. But to me, I kind of hear two sentiments being said at the same time. Thomas is clearly eager to follow his Savior anywhere he goes. That's why he says, yeah, let's go too. If Jesus is going, I'm in. That's kind of the thing that I hear first. But yet at the same time... He and the rest of the disciples, they're aware of the trouble that Jesus had just recently experienced in Jerusalem and the danger or the potential danger that lies there. So while he says, yeah, let's go too, he also says, and die with Jesus. So it's kind of like these two conflicting sentiments are coming together in the same sentence. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. 
Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Oh yeah, now we're getting into the thick stuff here. This is, this is an awesome passage that we have the privilege of studying this morning. So in, in the Gospel of John, we've heard this a couple of different times that Jesus makes these definitive I am statements, right? Like, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. These kinds of things. Jesus is telling us flat out here in what I think is perhaps his most important I am statement that he is the one who offers life after death. Martha is right when she says that Lazarus will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. But in Jesus' statement, it's like he's telling Martha and all of us, yes, Martha, but who will raise Lazarus? In fact, who will raise everyone? It's me. I am your hope of resurrection and eternal life. In fact, believing in me today means eternal life right now. And in this statement, masked in all of this, Jesus is also making this offer that there's something deeper beyond the future resurrection that people can experience. He's hinting that he has power over the death that Lazarus has just experienced. So what Jesus is teaching us is that death is defeated in him. Eternal life is his to give. It's his gift that he possesses and wants to give to those who believe. Physical death is overruled and overpowered by the eternal life that Jesus promises to all who believe in him. Eternal life doesn't begin only after we die, but we begin to experience eternal life, the start of it right here, right now, in the moment that we choose to believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So what I love about this interaction is that Jesus doesn't just throw out all this information. He doesn't make these incredible offers and then just walk away. But what he does is he looks at Martha and he invites her to believe. He says, Martha, do you believe this? And then Martha offers this just gorgeous confession of faith in verse 27. She says, yes, Lord. She told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. So this kind of faith is exactly, exactly what Jesus is looking for from us. So even though Jesus' power is, is often beyond our comprehension, and we are surprised at what Jesus can do sometimes, it's still right for us to eagerly acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. The chosen one from God who has come to set people free from their sins and free from the penalty of death, or free from the penalty of sins, which is death. Jesus can do all of this for us. And I know that, you know, so many of us, yeah, Jeff, we've heard this before. We've been walking in faith for decades. That's great. 
But man, like, I think we underestimate it. Like, it's so easy for this just to become commonplace and for us to shrug our shoulders and say, yeah, faith is faith, whatever, it is what it is. No, like, the power that Jesus is, not possesses, but is, is miraculous. And it's okay for us to step back yet again and be in awe of our Savior. Verse 28. Then she, that's Martha, returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Mary met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. This is interesting here. Other translations of the Bible, actually they don't use the word anger here. Most of them that I looked at say that Jesus was deeply moved. But the word here, the Greek word which I won't bother you with, what it actually means is, Anger. It means he was indignated. He was upset. The New Living Translation gets it right. So Jesus was angry and upset, but why? Here's what I think was going on, okay? Jesus sees this scene playing out where his friends, it says that earlier in this passage, his friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, Mary and Martha are beside themselves in grief. And he sees these other Jewish friends that have come from Jerusalem to console Mary and Martha. And they're all wailing and mourning and suffering because of the loss of their good friend Lazarus. I think it was in this moment that Jesus was angry and upset at the sorrow that death had caused these people. If you know what death is, you have to remember it was never the original part of God's plan, right? Death is the result of sin. So when you see sin taking over a person's life and causing them such deep grief and sorrow, and we know that Jesus hates sin, I think he's going to be angry at the results of sin, right? So in this moment, I think Jesus' anger is burning like, I, I can't stand this. The people that I love are mourning because... Sin has yet again brought its, its vicious claws against them. And now they're hurting. And I'm hurting for them. So with this anger and this, and this pain that Jesus is experiencing because of the grief of his, of his beloved friends, Jesus speaks up. See, anger can be actually a good thing. A lot of us say, oh, Jesus would never be angry. He was always this gentle shepherd, and he never did anything that was like causing people to look at him and say, whoa, Jesus, where did that come from? Remember, this is the guy who flipped over tables in the temple, who braided a whip to chase people out, who were exchanging people's tithe money for, for uh, cur- uh, currency that was you know, common to the Jews. And here he is angry yet again of, at sin. That's the only thing that Jesus gets angry at. It's always righteous anger. So he says, where have you put him? He asks in verse 34. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then like his anger kind of bubbles over to the surface a little bit. And he shows that he is fully God at his anger at sin, yet he's fully human. And he weeps 
with the people that he loves. So if I ever get teary up here, it's okay. Jesus does it too. So Jesus isn't an emotionless deity who's attached or detached from the human experience that we go through. That's the thing that I love about him so much. He's relatable because he cried just like we have cried. He felt agony and sorrow just like we have too. He got angry at an injustice just like you and I sometimes may get angry at the same things. And in this moment, we just see this beautiful human side of Jesus, our Savior. He didn't stay at arm's length, but he actually walked among us and experienced life like you and I do. Verse 36. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him? But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus said to them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. What a story, right? Like what an incredible story. Hollywood could never dream up anything like this. They are cheap reruns of the real thing, right? Like God, God just writes history in such a gorgeous way where we get to participate in the most miraculous things that ever happened by remembering them and saying, hey, that's my Jesus, right? I'm with him. That's, I love this kind of stuff. So in this story, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He's been dead for four days. He brings him back to life. I love actually how simple and straightforward this story really is. I've heard this story preached on many, many times in my life. And for some reason, I keep remembering people preaching about it and it just becoming so complicated. But I think this story is simple. The story is this. Lazarus is going to die. Jesus lets it happen so that he can come and show us that he has power over death. But in coming to Lazarus' house, Jesus teaches us that he has power over two kinds of death, physical and spiritual. That's, I think, what this story is really all about. That's it. So for just a moment, I want to take a, a slightly closer look at what Jesus said to Martha in, in verses 25 and 26. For me, those verses contain Jesus' defining statement of who he is and also what he is here to accomplish here on earth. So verse 25, it starts by the, with this. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. In this statement, Jesus is saying that he is life-saving resurrection power. Again, he's, he doesn't just possess this power, but he is this power. Just like we say Jesus doesn't contain love, he is love. Jesus is the most consummate form of these characteristics that we could ever dream of. In Jesus, you and I are raised to life. Not just so that we will die again, but so that we will live forever with him. This is both a spiritual and a physical resurrection that we're talking about this morning. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it speaks about the spiritual life 
the spiritual life change that happens to us in saying, therefore, if anyone is in Christ or puts their faith in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Okay, so when you believe in Christ, new things come. So when we believe in Christ, when that happened, did our bodies instantly become youthful and regenerated and all of our aches and pains were gone? No. So then it must be speaking about a different change, an internal change. Because in our soul, in that moment of of salvation, when we chose to believe, Jesus transforms us into a new person. Everything in our past is over. It's done. It doesn't get drug up again or dredged out when we stand before Jesus one day. In that moment, that forgiveness is complete. What's done is done. I will never bring this up again because I've forgiven you and my forgiveness is good and perfect and complete. I love how Jesus, in the moment of salvation, he doesn't see us for the person who is just still screwed up. He says, no, I've dealt with it. Move on. Set your eyes towards what I have in store for you. Forget about the past. Life is going to be amazing from this point on. Why dwell on what has already taken place? In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, this is a verse that talks about the physical resurrection. So we've seen the spiritual in that moment of salvation. Here's the physical. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died, you ready for this, will rise from their graves. Okay. So we saw the spiritual side of things, and now here's the physical. One day, Jesus is going to bring us back to life physically so that we can be with him. So through Jesus, our sins are forgiven and our soul is redeemed. He saves us from perishing in hell, and he grants us eternal life in heaven. And one day, we will rise back from the dead, just like, spoiler alert, Jesus does in John 20. We're going to get there in a few weeks. Jesus declares, oh man, this... I've read this verse before, but you ever get this? Sorry. Jesus wept, remember. Do you remember, you remember like these moments where you've read verses before, but you have never really connected the dots to another verse that you're studying, and all of a sudden at the same time, it's like lightning bolts are just connecting things for you? This happened for me here. When I read Revelation 118, Jesus says in this verse, I am the living one. I died, but look. I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys to death in the grave. Isn't that just a beautiful statement of Jesus' power? Right? Like we've been talking about this, that he doesn't just possess power, but he is power. I hold the keys to death and the grave. I unlock your liberty and freedom when you put your faith and trust in me. I love that. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, man, this statement, it packs a punch. We've read about a powerful and life-changing truth for us today, just to say the least. Jesus then says, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. So this resurrection to eternal life is ours if we believe in Jesus. The promise comes through our belief in Jesus, or the promise that comes through our belief in Jesus is that we will, even after we die physically, that this is not the end. 
We will live eternally in the presence of our glorious and awesome Savior, Jesus, because he has given us eternal life spiritually. And when he comes back, he will raise us up to that physical life that he promises as well. So not even death, the worst thing that we, for some reason, fear so gravely here on this earth, not even death can separate us from the promise of eternal life that Jesus gives. Then Jesus finishes this positive statement by saying, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. So eternal life is ours immediately, immediately, as soon as we believe in Jesus. Whoever has placed their hope in Jesus has a new spiritual life in him immediately, which cannot be stopped even by death. And after saying all this, Jesus asks, do you believe this, Martha? After his positive statements about himself, Jesus does something so good. We talked about this just briefly before. He doesn't just tell us the truth. But Jesus does something so crucial. He invites us to take hold of the truth. He invites us to believe. Jesus could have laid out all of this teaching for Martha and then just walked away to let her ponder it and hopefully come to the right conclusions. But our Messiah, he wants us to believe And to take hold of this truth for ourselves. So he asks, he says, Martha, you've heard what I said. This is the biggest news that anyone has ever shared with the human race. Do you hear what I said? It was amazing. But now here's something more important. Do you believe it? Will you receive this for yourself? And every single one of us must answer this exact same question. Fill in your name. Do you believe Do we believe in Jesus Christ? Do we believe that only in him can we have eternal life and live after dying? Avoiding, ignoring, or not answering this question is to our own peril. Jesus said, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. But we don't believe by default. We don't believe by association or hanging out with Christian people. We don't believe in Jesus' eyes because we come from a Christian family. We believe by personally choosing to believe. And what an invitation it is that Jesus gives us. I hope that right now in your own heart, even as I'm talking, if you feel God saying, hey, do you believe in me? Where do you stand? This is my offer to you. If you hear something like that going on in your heart, you need to answer right now. That's the most important thing that you can get out of this whole message today. I hope that you will choose to believe and that you will then have confidence in what Christ has done for you, giving you the promise of eternal life and that spiritually and physically you will live forever when Jesus takes us home. One more thing I just want to mention about this passage. This passage foreshadows the death and the resurrection that Jesus is going to personally experience Lazarus was dead and and came back to life because of Jesus. Jesus is going to be killed as a sacrifice for our sins, but he is going to come alive again three days or after three days to show us that death does not conquer Jesus, but rather Jesus conquers death. Our hope for eternal life in Jesus will not lead to disappointment Because death cannot separate us from Christ's love and the eternal life he promises to those who believe. Today we have someone 
who has chosen to believe in Jesus in exactly the manner that we have talked about today. And they would like to be baptized because that's what happens. When you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that as a confirmation or an affirmation or a declaration of the faith within your heart, Jesus says, I want you to do what I did and be baptized upon confession of your faith. So Levi, would you come and share the story of belief in your own life for us? Get you set up here. Thanks. Thank you. Good morning, evening. I don't know what it is. Um, I have a fear of public speaking, so pardon me while I try and keep my breakfast in. So, um, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, think of a moment in your life that changed your perspective on everything. What caused you to change? Was it a conscious choice, or did it just happen, like a reaction? Was it some force that caused you to suddenly think completely differently, or was it your own choice? Can you truly even say that you have free will? Can you prove that there is such a thing, or is it simply predeterminable through chemical reactions in your brain? That's kind of what I used to believe. I, I believe that we were nothing more than chemical reactions in a meat suit designed to live out our lives and eventually die with no true purpose. I knew about God and I, I knew about Jesus and his teachings. I believed that it was no more than good morals and a way for the church to tell you what to do. I didn't have the best role model when it came to religion growing up. My mother was almost fanatical when it came to religion. Um, and this fanaticism did a lot of damage to my family. My, the best example would be my oldest brother, Chris. He, um, he grew up being treated more equal than the rest of us, and this kind of got to his head. It messed him up. My mother treated him as firstborn and higher than the rest. It, this did so much damage to him that he believed that it was his duty to teach us about our reproductive organs, and he molested all of us. So you can kind of understand why I have a hard time turning towards religion. Why would I approach religion with a measure of caution, you ask? That, that's probably why. After all, I am the brother of a monster. I forgive him, but I will never forget his decisions and choices. This person who I once called family and many other examples of fanaticism are why I choose to, chose not to believe in religion. So for nearly 18 years, I chose to believe that there was no God, and for most of my life, I was fine. No harm, no foul, nothing. I wasn't, it wasn't until almost six months ago, until something happened to me, something that changed my perspective, my belief. Uh, allow me to tell you about the past six months of my life. These, these past six months have been somewhat turbulent for my family and I. Um, in January, my grandfather was diagnosed with brain cancer, and my grandmother died. In February, I was arrested and put in jail. In March, I was informed that the mother of my daughter placed a restraining order against me and started the process for a civil case against me. Fortunately, I was able to get out of jail on bond and hug my family once again. In April, I found my old job unwilling to hire me, 
Fortunately, my old job at the chocolate shop knew me well enough to take me back in. In May, I found out that my license was suspended. Unfortunately, I found out while I was in the driver's seat of my dad's car. So, fortunately, the officer that pulled me over didn't arrest me right then and there. He was kind enough to write me a ticket and tell me to go to court and fight it. I appreciate that. In June, my grandfather was diagnosed with another tumor, and he was told that they could not operate on it. So he should try to enjoy the time that he had left. Now, just a few weeks ago, he died in his sleep. Now it is July, and I am determined to make a difference. Many things are out of my control. Many things I cannot change, but there are things that I can change. I can change myself, whether that be, yeah, whatever, whether that be my attitude or things I choose to believe. Maybe perhaps I can even choose, or maybe perhaps I can even change somebody else's. Uh, there is something very important that I have learned these past six months. I learned that through everything, any measure of pain and suffering, happiness or joy, you must believe. It can carry you through the hardest moments in your life. It can help you achieve your wildest dreams. The power of belief can make you do anything or turn you into anything. But it is what you believe that makes a difference. You can choose to believe that Bigfoot is real and that we're in the center of the universe or the earth is flat, or you can believe that there is a God, that your life does have meaning, and that we do have a measure of free will. Which of these things will change you more? Which of these beliefs is better? I, I don't know. I do know that choosing to believe in God will change your life. I chose finally to believe in faith, and ever since that choice has been made, my life has changed. The belief has helped me to accept that I have no control over my life and that I need help. Ever since that choice was made, I feel as though I can finally pray and not feel as though that my prayers are being falling on deaf ears. I said that wrong. Uh, I can trust in God and his actions. The biggest change that has occurred in me since that decision is my attitude. I could not make this decision alone. I needed a lot of help. I needed a lot of influence. This is where I have been shown God in my life. I, I have seen God in the actions of others and then the way that the situations play out. I have seen a complete stranger come up and hug me in the streets of Seattle just because I told them that family was precious. Afterwards, I learned that their, their son had just gone through bone marrow transplant and was going to live. So they appreciated the, the time with family more than anybody else. I have seen Pastor Jeff visit me in jail the day I thought my life was going to end. Just because he felt as though he needed to be there. He didn't have a reason, he just showed up and that changed my life. I've seen what it means to have a fanatic belief. I have seen what it means to have no belief and I have seen what it means to have faith. I choose faith. I believe. And this is why I'm getting baptized today.